Hello and welcome to Clappercast, your weekly discussion of all things cinema and whatever I guess that means at this point with miniseries and streaming and whatever. Uh, I'm your host as always, Carson Tamar, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Nicola Grasso. How are you doing, Nick? Doing all right, doing all right. Happy to discuss two very different projects that are, yeah, interesting to say the least. Awesome. And once again, returning to the podcast, you and Gletto, how are you doing? Oh, you know me. Shoulders hurting, burnt face, the usual. I've seen a chicken now. Oh, I'm ready to talk about Mortal Kombat Falcon and the Winter Falcon or whatever it's called. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so one. we have another, you know, A-plus episode, if I have to say, regarding the content. We have our old friends, HBO Max, our older friend, our main friend, Netflix. We have a lot of great stuff to discuss today, but let's start out with the feature review today. Let's start out with Mortal Kombat. First learned about this seven years ago on a mission in Brazil to capture a wanted fugitive. When we got there, it tore through our unit in seconds. The target had superhuman abilities. It had the same marking you do, Cole. It's a birthmark. What do you mean? He was born with it. It's not a birthmark, Cole. It means you've been chosen. Throughout history, different cultures all over the world reference a great tournament of champions. That dragon marking? I think it's an invitation to fight for something known. Mortal Kombat. In Mortal Kombat, a washed up MMA fighter Cole Young, who is unaware of his heritage, is hunted by Sub-Zero and seeks out training with Earth's greatest champions as he prepares to stand against his enemies of Outworld in a high-stakes battle of the universe. Uh, I want to start with this one very quickly, just very quickly, because I've not seen a single piece of Mortal Kombat anything i've not played the games i've not seen the movies if there's a book i haven't read it if there's a podcast i haven't listened to it i don't know anything mortal Kombat. this movie was not good the first like five minutes really kind of took like it wasn't perfect but it kind of put me off guard i was like okay i can kind of see you know what we're doing this is kind of cool and then it goes into just like the most generic story i don't understand what mortal Kombat is like even now after watching this film had no idea what was going on um, definitely I, I like, but I also, I, I just want to acknowledge this movie wasn't for me. If it wasn't for the podcast, I wouldn't have watched it. Cause I don't know anything mortal Kombat. I think I'm the only one here who has no history with mortal Kombat. So I will turn it over to you guys. What did you think of mortal Kombat? I once got kicked in the head because of mortal Kombat. <laughs> I should just open with that. Um, no, it was, um, it was either I got kicked in the head or I got a controller hit off my, my jaw. But every every now and then my jaw still clicks when I eat. So I've got a long history with Mortal Kombat. I used to play the games. I'm not very good at fighting games, but there, there was a little bit of me that was excited to watch Mortal Kombat because it's it's very easy to adapt a lot of big characters who are essentially just action stars waiting to be thrown into a scenario or a situation. Now, the main issue with Mortal Kombat is this this is a directorial debut by Sam McQuaid. McCade? Don't know. It's his very first film, and he does an amicable enough effort with it, considering that, you know, I, I don't know if Nicolo will know, but the, the story of the actual Mortal Kombat games, useless. Not a clue what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on, because they've tried to reboot it that many times, and it's made it worse and worse and worse. So, 
th th this is an impossibility. You can't make a Mortal Kombat film that has a good story. And I think a little bit of the cast knows this. It's just sort of dumb fun with a lot of gory action sequences. And if you want that sort of thing, then this is, you know, ideal. It's an ideal vehicle for that sort of explosive action. You've got a big cast to work with. You've got a lot of characters from the games to work with. There's no real value in the source material, though. It's just, you know, men, women, aliens, monsters, and ghouls kick punch and threaten each other for an hour and a half. And it'll work if you like that stuff. But as Carson said, if it weren't for the podcast, probably wouldn't have watched it. <laughs> I have a soft spot for video game adaptations in the sense that I don't necessarily look for them, but I'm always hopeful in a very naive way because I'm a big, big gamer uh, ever since I was a kid. And just like you, actually, you and I've never been massive on fighting games because I suck at them. They're fun when you're playing with like other people in co-op, couch or whatever, but I never actually seek them out. But I have played most of the Mortal Kombat games, at least like the first ones that came out in the 90s, and then the more recent ones, the reboot. And just like you said, there's no real story. Like when you pick up a Mortal Kombat game, at least the first ones, there's a story on the back of the box and that's it. And I was cautiously optimistic with this reboot because this was already made like once before in the 90s by Paul W.S. Anderson, who also gave us the wonderfully faithful Resident Evil films. <laughs> and those films were PG-13. They were a bit like almost too family-friendly and cheap, but at least they had Mortal Kombat. This is a movie about Mortal Kombat that does not have the Mortal Kombat. It's about people trying to avoid going to the Mortal Kombat, which makes no sense. It's the, I think of all of like any video game, probably, this is the easiest thing to adapt into a movie because it's literally people from different realms get together to have this tournament to decide who is going to own the other realms that are losing. It's like, sure, fair enough. Instead, we get not only a, like constantly throwing characters from the game with no context, especially the villains, they are just thrown in, it's like, oh yeah, it's Goro is here. The Goro just comes out, does something, then he dies. Same for all the other villains. But I think the worst offender, and that's when I'm going to close this <laughs> opening gambit, is the protagonist because he's an original character and he's easily the most boring person of all. And well, we'll, we'll get into it, we'll get into it. <laughs> And interesting that you, as someone who like knows the characters, didn't care because I thought that was going to be the main point where I was like, I don't know any of these people, so that's why it's not working for me. But that, so that's that's good to hear. That's reassuring, at least. I I will say the fights are fun. I think the fights, you know, I like the action in this film to a certain degree. I think the visual effects are quite bad, actually. The blood spills, like the, from the first scene, I was like, oh, the blood squirts are fucking horrendous. But like, I think the visual effects in general, the fire is horrible. The ice is kind of cool. But like, you know, I like the fights here. I think the fights were fun, which I guess for Mortal Kombat, I assume that's probably a big part of it. So that's good. Yeah, that, the fights are a, a big part of Mortal Kombat, more so than the story, thank God. But um, I think the issue with Mortal Kombat, the movie, is that the action, the action's good. I really enjoy the action, and I'm like a really big sucker for action films. The action in Mortal Kombat's great. I really enjoyed it. It's very different to the games, and you can see the difficulty that they're having adapting the game and all the fatalities and the taglines and the catchphrases and stuff, and putting that into the into the film. 
you know the 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 end fight scene when he says get over here it's just oh uh, it was the flawless victory bit and i can't remember who says it but i'm it, whoever said it should be very disappointed in themselves because it was awful it's just sort of that disparage between the two you can't have the game quips because games and films are very different things despite you know them being fun um the, the, the difference is that games have a lot of leeway with how they get away with stuff you know Mortal Kombat is not a serious game or a serious story but when you're presenting it as if it is a serious game or a serious story like this one does it's it's very difficult to bridge that gap. It's um what was that opening text? There was an opening text that said Earth Realm is on the verge of catastrophe. It's like, is it really? Oh dear. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and then that's it. That's all we really give them to it. That's all we're fed as an audience is that there's gonna be some form of catastrophe. And then I, I don't think we ever return to it, really. There's an Australian man that makes jokes every now and then. And then they fight a lizard. There's no context. That's the most baffling thing. Again, it's the easiest the whole story of the first games is on the back of the box and they fail to actually establish the universe and the laws and what Mortal Kombat actually is. Like that's the worst thing is someone like Carson comes out of the movie not actually understanding what a Mortal Kombat is. You don't fucked up. And it's just, ah. And the most confusing thing, like I said it before, the main character is the most generic action lead who's just this cool young character who is related to Scorpion through generations and things like that. And he goes on this hero's journey, but it's just boring. You've seen this so many times before. Instead you have, in this actual film, you have some interesting characters that you could have followed. You have like Liu Kang, who's this young guy and he has family issues and uh, lack of self-esteem, is the actual main protagonist of the original trilogy of games. Why couldn't we just focus on him? And we would have already been thrown into this fantasy world. Instead, no, it's just meandering, going from set piece to set piece, always moving forward, never stopping. Um, I know we're talking about Falcon afterwards, but it's it very much does feel like they try to follow some sort of superhero formula, like assembling the team and you have the struggles and you have the training and finding your power. And it's, it doesn't work, it simply doesn't work. Um, but like you said, the action was good. I, you can tell that some of the actors are not like properly trained in martial arts. When, when it's not the actual like good actors, they have a lot of cutting, even though it's still cleaner than most modern action films. Um, but I really enjoyed when there's the fights between Scorpion and uh, Sub-Zero, who are played by Hiroyuki Zanada and Joe Taslim. We've both been in fabulous, fabulous action films, especially Joe Taslim in uh, The Night Comes For Us. is savage in that film. And in a weird way, that Indonesian film is way more brutal and way closer to an actual Mortal Kombat game film than the actual adaptation. Can I just piggyback? I'll I'll say of uh, speaking of like oh they didn't like understand kind of explain what you know Mortal Kombat is especially in the beginning crawl. I don't know if this film knows what like a tournament is or what the word tournament means because there's like okay this world is falling apart it's on its end there's gonna be a tournament to decide like I don't know what that means like I've never in my life heard like oh we're gonna have a I mean I, like it just you need to explain more what the tournament is and what it you just say this word tournament a million times in the film and it's like well so if the world is falling apart you're gonna have this like organized competition i don't know what you're doing in this tournament it was very weird it was very very weird from what i remember of the 
the first right i played the first reboot which is the one for xbox 360 which for some reason had freddy krueger's dlc don't know why best part in the game though the the plot of that one was that they all come together to have a fight and that's it the the the, the fight through and then eventually they fight a guy with a stick and then they fight Goro, the guy with four arms, but in this film is essentially just that, oh, that's that's cool, he's there, and then he's dead. And then at the end, they kill this like splinter cell rip-off guy from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It, essentially, though, it doesn't matter, is, is the point the games are trying to make. You're just there to have a bit of fun, you know, you're going to kill a few hours by killing other people, you know, pulling their spines out and twirling it around. The, 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 the movie doesn't get that the movie thinks it needs to have a streamlined narrative it thinks it needs to introduce all these characters it needs to appeal to the fan base but as well as that bring in a whole new audience that aren't really going to care and I think that's the big divider between uh games and films and especially when you're adapting games you know we, we have had successful adaptations i'll go out on a limb to sonic the hedgehog was quite good um i i thought it was fine as an adaptation they had all the right notes there. They had Sonic. They had a, an established actor, which is what Mortal Kombat's missing here. It doesn't have a household name playing one of the big characters. Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik was weird, but it worked because everybody thinks, oh, it's a Jim Carrey film. We'll go and watch that. Mortal Kombat, I think the only character or person I knew was Tadanobu Asano, but I only know him from like Mabarossi. And I don't think the average Mortal Kombat fan is going to know about Mabarossi. <laughs> but I could be wrong. Um, no, but it, it's like the cast and crew, there's nobody there that you could recognise. And I, I I don't think it's too big of an issue, but when I look back at things that are either TV or games that have been adapted to film, like look at the Power Rangers film from a few years ago. That was relative nobodies in the leading roles. But then you had Brian Cranston and you had Elizabeth Banks who, who were there to sort of support these new characters and bring them up and say, right, this is how you can do this and then take them wherever they need to go. Mortal Kombat's got a lot of people that we're not really going to recognise. The, the villain from Skyscraper's in here, but nobody watched Skyscraper because why would you? But there's no person that we can look at and think, that's the guy or girl or whoever that's going to lead this film forward and, and sort of establish it as a universe that can be expanded on. Because they have some balls saying that there might be a sequel or this with the whole Johnny Cage thing at the end. I'm no expert on how they make sequels, right? I've checked the audience score. Top marks, two thumbs up, as Roger Eber would say. However, I'm not convinced this one will get a sequel. Um, not because it's bad. I thought it was okay. I thought it was fine. It's fine. But fine is not sequel worthy. Uh, okay and sort of just average. Is, it's middle of the road. You've got good action. You've got a bad story. You've got good characters. You've got bad performances. You've got good good design, but bad effects, as Carson said. And it's, you know, it's uh, every positive is sort of taken down by a negative no you and they've not signed on they apparently signed the actors on for six films total so we're not getting <laughs> one sequel we're apparently getting five so hold this is on. avatar all over again oh <laughs> except worse <laughs> listen i mean more credit to them for six apparently that's what the actor said they crossed everything off the checklist in the first 40 minutes let alone six films that's 12 hours what are they going to do for the remaining 10 granted there are a lot of characters in the mortal kombat universe but there's still not enough to fill 12 hours i couldn't tell you couldn't tell you uh just yeah i cannot imagine what their end plan is the games to be fair they do go in 
very superhero-like. There's time travel and it's the younger versions of themselves meeting together to actually fight the villain in the past before they were even born. So it does go to those extents. It could be fun. It really could be fun. But this film just was a not, not a slog to get through. Or just I couldn't care. I just couldn't care about anything that was happening. The thing about time travel in the games is, again, the games are like you're covering Doritos and drinking beers and stuff, and you're playing the games for fun. You don't really care. Oh, they're going back yeah. to the medieval times, right? Or with a film, you, you you're concentrating. You are acknowledging the fact that these characters are doing things and they're going places, and it needs to make sense and it needs to have coherence. They're not going to have that if they're going to be like, and then we went back in time to the start of the first movie and we stopped it all from happening. Oh, that's not going to work. That's not going to cut it. That's <laughs> that's mm. not going to work at all. So I'm very interested as sort of, I apart from Back to the Future, I can't think of anywhere that time travel has been done very well. Um, and if, if they are going to go down the route of copying the games, which aside from whoever that leading character was, <laughs> apart from him, it's all very much the same notes as the games. So if they are going to follow it in a story sense, then oh, God guide them, because that's not going to go well. I can see that being fun in a way. Like the, the whole idea of having these characters actually, I mean, honestly, what, what I'm envisioning is just a better version of the first film. Characters getting together and actually having the freaking tournament. Because as it is, it's, it was just annoying. And you mentioned the catchphrases before. Like, every single catchphrase that they use, it's said by the announcer, which actually makes sense in the context. It's not said by the actual characters in the game. <laughs> so by having someone go like, finish him. It's like, no, 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 no. That's, that doesn't work. That's, that's weird. That feels like it's just a designator because the the script writers have eventually realized that they are writing a Mortal Kombat movie and think, oh, what are the what are the what are the catchphrases and that put three in quick. And then that's it. There's no I mean, there is a way of making that tournament. I think it would have been a lot more fun. It would have been a lot more rigid the structure of the film. It would have been very streamlined rather than having, you know, Sonya Blade and uh, what's his name? The Australian one. Kano. Kano, yeah. It would have been a lot stricter in its narrative if you had them just competing in a tournament but it would have been more fun if you're focusing in wholly on the action and having little peppered stuff because the story at present that could just be a backdrop it doesn't need mm -hmm. to be important most action films don't really have an important story i think one of my favorite action films commando who cares about the story of that it's arnold schwarzenegger saying like uh, i don't know cool off and then piercing people with pipes like it, it doesn't need a story, and I think that's the issue here. Mortal Kombat could have been a very fun film if it had just sort of acknowledged that the story is going to get stupid and not take itself so seriously. Yeah, I don't know. I think talking about, like, I don't think this film in really any way is, like, fun. Even the screenplay, and it has a R ratio, R rating, and, it, you know, it definitely deserves it. But, like, the even, like, the cussing in the screenplay, and, like, trust me, I don't give a fuck about cussing, like, from a moral standpoint, but, like, it came off as so immature with just, like, clearly they just wanted to throw in lines because they were like, oh, that's going to be really funny because he's going to say fuck. And it's just, it's not funny. Like, this film is not fun. This film, I thought, was, like, so hard to sit through, which is, you know, a very big theme with HBO Max and there's day-to-day -day releases. I'm learning um 
it's just it's not fun you know i i appreciate that it could become fun i maybe it's like the fast and furious franchise i haven't seen it but I, you know from what i know the first one suck and then it gets stupid and it gets fun maybe mortal Kombat's like that i don't think we're ever gonna see you know number five much less number two but you know prove me wrong warner brothers yeah it's like a 13 year old's uh, idea of edginess and of a, of a dark and brooding story you know um but I, I don't, honestly, this felt very studio mandated. Um, I was looking at the list of screenwriters. Apparently, one of those has written the upcoming Netflix Resident Evil film, which is probably going to be even worse than what Paul W.S. Anderson did. The apparently, is like the children of Albert Wesker. It's like, why? Why are they the children of the villain? <laughs> I don't know how they come up with these things. And I will forever be confused. One, I was looking back at most video game adaptations that I've seen. And one of the through lines, and not just video games, also books, something like The Dark Tower that came out four years ago and everyone forgot. It's they, they have this need to have an avatar for the audience. And it's usually like original characters that are not present in the source material. And I wonder why do they feel the need to actually do that when people playing the games or reading the books can just easily access them without having someone who's completely detached from all of this. Um, that, that adds unnecessary screen time to establish everything in a still very messy and convoluted way. Um, it features the most cliche, like I couldn't care less about the main guy's wife, I guess, and daughter, <sighs> the whole subplot. It opens up, I, I would honestly say like the first 10 minutes were a really good Mortal Kombat short film of like, oh, this is a prequel short film, like a proof of concept. You make that. It's like, yeah, okay, I can see that working because it has good actors and it's in Japanese and Chinese, which is refreshing. And yeah, I, I kind of wish the whole movie was like that, either set in the past or just about these two characters fighting together, the constantly dueling Sub-Zero and Scorpion. Those are cool. Those are good actors. Those are cool characters, cool designs. And then you get Kano making references to Forrest Gump in 2021. <laughs> it's just okay. Well, in the opening scene, like that character, that story is very much like, I think the heartbeat of the film in a sense. And it's just weird to me, like it has, it starts with that, establishes it and then just like leaves it and just says like peace until later like I really think you should have just followed that character because that was a compelling arc that was a compelling character that made sense and I cared about him you know there was genuine human emotion and then you just go to this very generic story that I don't care about and then it just I don't know it was so weird to me that like the start was so good and then they just like put it in the trash it's very weird well I think, but just to go off of what you were saying about the writing, um, one of the guys that wrote this, Oren Uziel, he also wrote Mortal Kombat Legacy, which came out a decade ago now. And you'd, you'd think, you know, that, that was three hours long, that film. But you'd think by now that after three hours of writing Mortal Kombat films, he would have gotten a grips with how it all works. But I think, I, I've not seen it, but it, it's gotten amicable reviews so i assume that this is more to do with pressure from a studio that are like we don't like these video game things we need to make them marketable don't don't have an announcer don't have a tournament have have plot and story and it's like you can't do plot and story it's it's not it's not the type of film that should have a plot or a story really 
and I was I was reading somewhere I think maybe IMDb that apparently they had to censor some of the violence, and I honestly like I wonder what's what was cut because this still managed to be super gnarly and focusing a lot on the fatalities, which are very few and far between actually. Um, but yeah, it's again it's following this just boring repetitive formula that we've seen many many times in other it's it's trying to ape superhero movies and it, it can work it can work but it's again just the most confusing thing is having characters the players remember like this fan service especially with the villains you get to spend literally no time with them they just come on screens like, yeah, we have, we have to kill them. Sub-Zero, go. Sub-Zero goes, does some shit, breaks Jack's arms. Then he leaves. Then he comes back. Then he leaves again. And then it's all the villains together already. They're just saying names randomly. And I, I think, like, I don't know, maybe Carson, like, not knowing any of the characters' name, I don't know if they ever hit you in any way. Like, say, Melina and uh, Jack and whatever, just constantly saying them, just doing their own shit. The flying woman that they have never seen actually in any of those games, she just comes and then dies instantly. It's. <laughs> I think that's that's the end game effect now though, because in the end of end game, the Avengers one, all the characters come together and you get a big pop every time you see a character. You like it's like, oh my god, there's Doctor Strange and there's Captain Marvel. I've not seen them since the previous product. <laughs> and with with Mortal Kombat, it's it is just a matter of appealing to the fans saying oh here's melina oh they're, they're dead already oh here's um you know goro and stuff like that it's really cool to see them but if they're gonna hang around for three minutes and then be bumped off what's the point especially if you're gonna do five more <laughs> i i look mortal kombat's very flimsy with how it brings its characters back it's like that's the whole time travel thing where they go back and they're like oh they're actually okay and we'll bring them back to the future but it that 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 won't fly if well, you're they, doing five of these. They did say death is just a portal to like a new, like they've already set up oh, that when you die, it doesn't matter. So they've already set it up. <laughs> it, yeah, that's such a, a, a cheap way of getting around it. It's such a cop out. It's like, ah, well, you know what they say? No, nobody did forever what well you know it's... the best thing to elevate action films is to make the action meaningless. That's the best way to elevate it. So exactly. And that's the issue I had with just going back to Endgame, where so this is going to be a weird tangent, but I will wrap it round. At the end of Infinity War, when half the cast were killed off, you knew as soon as the credits rolled that was not permanent because they're going to come back because there's too much money involved to to, to kill off Spider-Man and the Guardians of the Galaxy. You can't do that. That's insane. A madman would do that. The issue with Mortal Kombat is that, like Niccolo said, Malin is dead. Uh, Goro's dead. They're not going to stay dead because they're they're two characters that have been around since the nineties. They're the big pops that the crowd will get and think, "Oh wow, they're back." It, all of it then is meaningless, and I've just realised that. Thanks, Carson, because I, I enjoyed it moderately, and now I've just remembered 110 minutes for a, a film that essentially establishes no characters and kills many of them off temporarily. Is it's not worth it? Not worth the time? Oh dear, oh dear. And the funniest thing was reading an interview with the director who said, we don't want death to feel inconsequential. <laughs> Which is, but also Sub-Zero Sub will be coming back, 
<laughs> okay, okay. This, oh, you, this is very you, consistent. You give a little, you get a lot. I guess. I guess. Uh, honestly, like we're talking about five more films, and I, it's it's never going to happen. But I think the best case scenario is 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 if they embrace the crossover element of Mortal Kombat, because I would die to watch an actual Mortal Kombat versus DC movie. That's an actual game <laughs> that came out. And I would love to see like Scorpion fighting Superman and something stupid like that. It's yeah. never going to happen, but it would restore, be like a hundred times. <laughs> restore the combat verse. Let's get it trending, restore boys. The combat verse. Look, all I'm saying is if we can get the big forearm guy in the same room as Jared Leto, I'm, <laughs> I'm there. Free premium tickets on me. My oh, God. yes. <laughs> I, I don't um, know where they can go with this though. It's like as a as a concept and as a product because, all right, yeah, let, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They've shown all these characters. They've shown what they can do with them. Assuming that all these people have signed on for six films, where do they take them? It's like we've just all said, plot doesn't matter because the director has made a conscious decision to say these characters can come back. So what is there to do? You can't just keep adapting the various strands of the game because the game doesn't know where it's at either. I'm pretty sure like. They rebooted it with Mortal Kombat 8. They're on Mortal Kombat 10 now, and everyone's already confused. 11. 11? 11. <laughs> I was confused in the opening credits of the Mortal Kombat game that I bought, because it was like, and then time travel happens. Like, right, yo, I guess we're going there. And I was like, all right, I'm fine. I can make my piece with time travel. And then Freddy Krueger and bloody Predator showed up. And I was like, right, okay. I'm pretty sure Ash Williams from the Evil Dead games is meant to show up in one of them. And John Rambo is in the newest one. There's Leatherface as well. You know, this does kind of scare me because Warner Brothers seeing this uh, Space Jam. That's yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah. Trailer, uh, New Age, the new one, whatever it's called. And seeing them like just take the Ready Player One approach, they could easily take the Ready Player One approach here with all their characters and just like mm -hmm. all together. Listen, I it could work. I. I wouldn't say this if I didn't have evidence to think that it could work, but bring back the MonsterVerse with Tom Cruise, because at least they'll give that a proper go, you know? Like, if you're going to adapt characters, adapt brilliant characters from literature, not bloody, I don't know, what was his name? I don't remember his name. Cole Quinn? Was it Cole? Hang on. Cole no Young. <laughs> Cole Young. Cole <laughs> Young. I don't care. Nobody cares, because that's the thing. The, I think the reason people care about these characters is because they've been established decades before. Nobody will care about a new character, but the new character is essentially just sort of a host for the for the audience to latch onto and think, all right, well, this is the, for the new people that are joining, like Carson, who doesn't know anything about Mortal Kombat. We've played the games, Nicolo. We don't know anything about Mortal Kombat. None of the fans do either, because the producers of the games don't know what's going on either. They don't care. But at least they're trying. You know, there is an earnest... A choice that they have made to try and include these new audience members with call, call, and at least you know I, I can give them the benefit of the doubt in that regard because they're trying to include as many people as possible they can in this universe. It's just a shame that the universe they've made, it's not very interesting. It's very primitive. It's it's in its early stages, and I don't think it'll get much further. It's 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 lacking it's lacking themes. It doesn't really have anything to say, which is. Like the most surface level theme explored in the games is literally just family. Like everyone is related in some weird way because of course they are by the time you get to the 11th game in the series. 
And that's again, that could have been the most interesting part. It opens up with a family getting murdered and the guy wanting revenge in the afterlife. That's interesting. You have the guy who's jealous of his cousin, who's super cool and killing everyone. That could have been interesting. You have so many other plot lines you could have explored on a deeper level instead of focusing on Joe Random protagonist just doing his own shtick. Um, and even just thinking, okay. Like, if the next movie actually has a Mortal Kombat with the proper tournament, does it even make sense? Because the whole idea of the Mortal Kombat tournament is to have the winner take control of the other realms. And so why did the, like, the antagonist here, I don't remember the name, I think something, something, whatever. <laughs> why did he try to kill the people who were going to take part in the tournament before the actual tournament to get the realm without simply participating to it. They never really go in depth to any specific rule where it could have been reverted or something. So what's the point of doing a movie where you actually get the tournament? It's just the same shit except official, I guess. Well, you also have the bad guy saying he's going to bring an army next time, which makes me like, if it's a tournament, you don't need an army. So is it just going to be a war or do you not know what like, I, I don't I don't understand it. Yeah. I'm excited for Mortal Kombat 2 without another Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Just... if, if your film is lacking the thing it's titled after, there's an issue. And I think without the tournament, there is no real story or anything you can do. Like Nicolo said, it's just family. It's the same for Marvel. The one theme they tackle year in, year out for the past, when did I, the past 12 years has been loss. That's it. So Mortal Kombat is now going down the avenue of, oh, family. But it's not got... I know exactly where it'll go if it actually does get these six films, where it's like Sonya Blade and uh, Briggs and everyone. That's that's the real family. It's the family we made along the way as an audience. That's going to be the message. That'll be the message, right? Oh, lovely. But it's not going to work because I don't really care about these characters <laughs> beyond, oh, cool, I know them from the game. There's no, There's no real potential there to expand on them. There's no real uh, personality. Because the thing about the game is because the game can get away with a lot of just sort of, like Johnny Cage is the action movie star. He's essentially Schwarzenegger and Van Damme all in one, but it's just this set piece hero. You can't get away with that in a film because people need depth. And I know I've said that the story doesn't matter. It, it doesn't, but even then your characters still need to do something. The most basic possible plot line and i love that we got once again like the the new cliche of all these movies is someone in the first act that gets the protagonist and goes well i've been doing my research and i just discovered all of this <laughs> how we don't know but she has walls plastered all over about these super powered individuals and the mortal combat and the guy cracks a joke of it being spelled wrong because we need witty jokes about things don't and never making sense and that's what I, th I, I think that was the moment where i was just like oh no like this isn't going to get better is it no and it it's... never reaches a, a like super low level of quality because it doesn't it's, it's at least shot nicely um, and it was super into the ice effects whenever they came on. It was just very detailed, and, and they knew that. But yeah, everything else just left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. Uh, even yes. as an action fan, I, lo I love straight-to-video action films. 
And those always say the same generic story possible, but at least they have sweet, most likely super violent action. And they are better made in that regard, I think, than Mortal Kombat that had millions of dollars put into it. I just want to say, I could have been drunk, but I've written down in my notes that they mentioned David Copperfield. Is that, did that happen? Was that... Maybe. Because Kano apparently says all the best artists are a little twisted, mate. And, a, and then there's something about David Copperfield. However, the looks you're both giving me suggest otherwise. I'm not going to say it's not in there. I'm just going to say, like, I easily could have missed it. I yes. wasn't necessarily giving this movie, I would say, like, I wasn't invested to where I was, like, really, you know, wired in. Oh, I was glued to the screens. <laughs> Mainly because if I turned my head, I'd probably throw up. But I was glued to the screen. I couldn't wait to see the credits. That and they're was... long. And they're oh, long. God, the song in that credit scene was fucking oh. horrendous, though. It, like, comes on just immediately so loud. And that's the main theme. That's the Mortal Kombat theme. Oh, and they butchered oh. it. They, they, they took out the it. guy yelling. Oh. They didn't put it in. They didn't put the guy yelling Mortal Kombat in. That's unforgivable. Zero stars. And that guy is still alive and kicking, actually. They, they had, I don't remember who, but there's like some journalist who managed to track the guy down and did an interview with him. And he still got it. He still got the Mortal Kombat in him. But yeah. I honestly, of, of all the stupid one-liners that they put into the dialogue, why didn't they have someone just randomly shouting it for some reason? Just, I don't know, Scorpion just kick drops Sub-Zero and screams Mortal Kombat, because why not? It just it's, <laughs> would have been the cherry on top on this film. Well, if there's one bright spot here, you and about, you know, death doesn't matter, oh, we're not excited where the story goes, chances are we won't be getting any more Mortal Kombat. If so, you know, I'll see you on Clappercast, I guess. But luckily, death, I know, I think it's going to matter because I don't think we're going to get any future projects. One place where death apparently kind of does matter because we are getting future projects and we're getting nearly endless future projects is Marvel with the MCU. Uh, we talked about WandaVision. We're on to the second Disney Plus original series. Oh boy, Marvel, you're just putting out more and more content. Let's talk about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So, who would like to start? Mr. Barnes, why does Sam aggravate you? 15 seconds to drop. So what's our plan? Right. Following the events of Avengers Endgame, the Falcon Sam Wilson and the Winter Soldier Bucky Barnes team up in a global adventure that tests their abilities and their patience. Uh, you and why don't you start out with this one? What were your thoughts on Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Oh, it was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. No. Um. I. I was I on the podcast for One Division or not? I don't think I was, but I will say that. I really didn't like WandaVision. I thought it was contrived. I thought it was embarrassing that people were calling it Lynchian. Um, and I thought it start, the, the first two episodes were fine. They were amicable. They were enjoyable to some degree. And then it spiraled because then Marvel clicked and realized we've got to put other characters in this so we can sell the action figures. And the same happens with Falcon and the Winter Soldier because, by God, what a can kind of useless character this one is. There's just so many... I didn't think over six episodes there could be so much shit, but I'm I'm impressed. They floored me once again. They they are the the envelope pushes that we never knew we needed, and we still don't need them because the the thing about Falcon and the Winter Soldier is it takes two very 
small characters. In the grand scheme of things, if we look at like the Avengers, two very small characters who were, who were good actors. Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie are good, really good actors. I watched Anthony Mackie in Bullworth recently. He's fantastic. And Sebastian Stan has probably also done other films, but the two very good actors. They have chemistry with one another, but it's constrained and castrated here because they're not given room to grow and breathe. There's no real end to this, is there? Like, to, not just, you know, their relationship between the two of them is sort of, they start out hating each other and then they go to therapy and then they're told, work through your problems. And then they do. That's it. That, that's all there is because what else is that they can do? They team up with Daniel Bruhl for a bit because he needs some money to go off and do proper films. And then the Julie Louise Dreyfus shows up and Wyatt Russell's there because he wanted to play Captain America. And now he gets the chance to eventually it'll just be rotation. It'll be like a football match where you just rotate the players. Um, the issue is with Captain, no, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I find the message it has, not just the sort of military propaganda or whatever it was going for, I find it utterly repugnant. I find it truly disgusting. And I just, I didn't have sympathy for any character. We're meant to feel sympathy for Wyatt Russell because he's sort of going through the motions of, oh, I'll never be the next Captain America. Four episodes in, he's bludgeoning someone to death with his shield, cracking their skull open. I can't sort of sympathize with a man that's going like that, you know, cracking someone's head open like a coconut. I, and, and two episodes later, we're meant to feel bad for him because he always gets crushed by a truck. And then he teams up with Julia Louise Dreyfus, who's doing her best not to look like a lion from Seinfeld. She shows up. I don't know why. I don't know who she was because I've already forgotten. It's a very forgettable piece. It's just like, it's everything about the the later stages of Marvel that are just sort of so boring and so heinous. And like, I really don't like it. It's n narratively, it, it goes nowhere. It's, it's, it's a bunch of ideas that they had and thought, well, these are only minor characters. Who's really going to watch this? We'll scramble these, put them in a script, and away we go. So it's six very separate pieces. And I'm sorry I'm rambling, but I'm just very upset by it all. There's, in the very first episode, I thought they were going to go somewhere with the relationship between, between Sebastian Stan, uh, who plays Winter Soldier, and his neighbor, who he killed the son of. And I thought that was genuinely quite interesting. I wonder where they'll go with this. It's forgotten about until the last 10 minutes of the final episode. It's marvelous. So scared of trying to change what they're doing. It's sort of like they're teasing us with little bits of things that could be okay, and then they're backing up and regressing. And soon they will implode on themselves, and eventually people will hopefully realize that this is exactly the same as Winter Soldier, Captain America, whatever. It's the same as One Division regarding the quality. It's it, it, it does nothing for so many. <laughs> I, you know, I. I'm sure you'll be able to articulate your thoughts a bit better, but I, uh, I really hated it. There's a reason in I, Tanya, why they didn't have Tanya Harding bash in her knee, because then that would make the scene where she's crying to the jury or whatever very not work. It wouldn't make you sympathize with her. This show does the exact same thing, except they have him just innocent, murder an innocent guy, try to kill two Avengers, like literally goes to kill them. And then you have this scene where he's, you know, giving this emotional, you don't know, you made me, fuck you. You're a horrible, like, fuck you. Why do I care? I didn't understand. I was literally like, I, this is either trying to make me feel bad for him, angry, or like this is trying to get me like, am I supposed to be satisfied by this? Like that seems a little strange. 
no, this show doesn't work. I despised WandaVision with a passion. And I've firmly gone to the camp of like actively despising that show. I don't despise Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I think it is competently made. No, not not excellently made, but competently. Uh, and there is some like things on paper. You know, I think the MCU having a main character to a certain degree, yes, these are lesser characters, but they're trying to explore like race relations in America, for example, and like systematic racism. I will applaud you for attempting that. Do you accomplish it? No. And this isn't even anything new for the MCU. You had Luke Cage, uh, Cloak and Dagger, but specifically Luke Cage do this just, you know, a million times better. This is like a shell of anything that show accomplishes. Um, it, this is genuinely one of the most boring experiences I've maybe ever had. There was a time where like, especially with those Netflix, like Marvel series, where like I would stay up at midnight when they dropped on Netflix and like binge watch nearly all the episodes, if not all of them. Like I've sat through some really shitty shows and just like sat through them for a review or whatever. This show genuinely, it, every episode I would end it, I'd be like, oh, did it like midway switch through to like the next episode? No, like this show is so hard to sit through even at just six episodes. Ultimately it doesn't really accomplish anything. Nothing feels like it matters. None of the characters are that interesting. You know, they're all incredibly forgettable. And the plot itself is just so bland and boring. And I don't care. This sucked. This was even like, dare I say, I think this was more forgettable and boring, at least than, more, than Mortal Kombat. I think it's better made than Mortal Kombat. But like, at least Mortal Kombat, it was very clear what was happening. And it was a fine, you know, very average journey. Here, it's just like, there's nothing. I feel like this just has nothing. The thing about Mortal Kombat is that it was a movie. And... I've watched WandaVision. I didn't talk about it on podcast. And I've now seen Falcon and Winter Soldier. And I'm just baffled that they made these shows and not movies because there's not enough story for six hours of television, five hours of television, even four hours. It's, I will say this, I really didn't like WandaVision. I thought it just felt off at the beginning and just then just spiraled like you and said, just went, get, got worse and worse. Um, I did like the experience of watching Falcon and Winter Soldier. I think it was mainly because I had really low expectations after the previous Disney Plus show. But yeah, it's I'm the the thing about doing a TV show is the opportunity to expand the characters, of delving deeper into them, of having variety even. And for something like for, for a studio like Disney that has all the money in the world, almost literally at this point, I don't know how they still managed to deliver something this average, average and bland. And one of them, like, I think the moment where I just thought, yeah, I'm never going to really enjoy this was in the third episode when you have Anthony Mackie, Sebastian Stan and Daniel Brühl, they're going to this island of criminals that in the middle of nowhere, I don't know. And there's basically like this leader gets killed and blah, blah, blah. And oh my God, they literally say something like everyone on the island is going to look for us. And I thought, oh, okay, this is produced by the creator of John Wick. We're going to get like one or two episodes that are like John Wick, where they're constantly getting hunted, where they have to survive. And in the middle of the battle, you see the tension between them rising and it's going to lead to a, no, they get saved and then they go to a party and then they fight five people in a, shipyard and that encapsulates everything about the show for me 
It's the promise of something greater, the promise of something more exciting that can actually use the action to move the characters forward. Instead, just kind of sitting there and accepting the bare minimum, like, yeah, just they, they talk things out. That, that's what I said. I was about, like, some people were saying on Twitter, yeah, they go to the therapist and then everything's fine. And Dion said it as well. And when I was watching, I was like, no, there has to be more to it. Like, something will happen. They're clearly setting up something else in their relationship. Instead, no, they're, they're just best buddies now, just cracking jokes and not having any real chemistry as actors. So, yeah, it's, um, I will say the action was cool. I'll probably say it's maybe, maybe it's the best action in the whole of the MCU because it's the most practical, at least. It doesn't ever go full CG except at the end. But yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. just, yeah, just a very mad, yeah. I think, yeah, I, I, the, the, the work, I think in film, it's, it, and this applies to television and music, boring work is worse than bad work because it is easier to talk about things that are bad than it is about boring. Now, Marvel have the benefit of having lots to talk about despite making boring films and boring television shows, but the biggest issue I have with Falcon and the Winter Soldier is how it's conveying its characters. I don't think it knows what it wants to do with these characters, and I don't think they ever will, because I, I think we're past the point of, you know, Iron Man and Captain America. They're the two big draws for the series. We've moved on now. And I don't, for me, I don't think there's anybody that's established with that much, you know, name value in the series. But they've built up enough support and enough money to make films about anyone and TV shows about anyone. Like, this is why we've got, you know, a Hawkeye series coming. Nobody really cares about Hawkeye, but because it's known and it's it's comfortable and it's because we've seen it all before, a lot of people take comfort in that. They use it as like a blanket, really, because it's, it's safe. They've seen it before. They know what they're getting. They know they'll have a good time enough with it. And I think where that problem falls apart for this is that there is no risk in these characters. Every single character is sort of just a, there. They do bad things, but we should sympathize with them. And you can't sympathize with every character because Wyatt Russell doing horrible things and uh, Daniel Bruhl, who plays Zemo, he's doing off, off doing horrible things. But we're still meant to feel some sort of you know, respect for their integrity and what they're doing. They're a, you know, they're a, they're a good person trapped in a bad situation. It's not that. It's, it's not quite that simple. And that's the problem because there's no depth really. The, the thing with Sebastian Stan and Winter Soldier, where he's killed the guy's kid, it's resolved in the last ten minutes of the final episode, and it's not touched upon in those other five. And for narratives to work, they need to be reminded, especially Marvel fans, because you know their brains aren't quite working, but it needs to be consistent. It needs to have some sort of, you know, not, it's, it's a respect for your audience's time. You know, it's, this is 300 minutes. I could have watched Ben, her and something else afterwards. The issue here is that it's, it's just filler. It's six episodes of filler because they don't really want to establish anyone was fully bad. Thanos wasn't even fully bad because he had that redeeming arc where it was like, oh, I did it for the good of my people. I don't really care. But at least there's, you know, the writing's there for it. With um, what was their name? The Flag Smashers leader. Well, I don't remember. Arlie Morgenthau. That's the one. Um, what was the point of that character? Are we meant to sympathise with her? I don't know. There was a line where she says like, 
Um, I've got it written down, I think. It was something like, I don't want to kill good people intentionally. Well, try not to kill anyone, really. That would be my suggestion. Um, but no, we're meant to feel, you know, it's it, uh, spoilers, obviously, but when she dies at the end, and, and Anthony Mackie carries her out like Joker at the end of Batman Arkham Asylum, that's, I'm sure that's a coincidence. But um, when they do that, we're meant to feel emotion for this. We're meant to feel sad. We're meant to feel upset that a character has died. Why would we feel upset for a character if they're the antagonist? And it, it, again, it's it's that sort of shying away that I think it's Kari Skoglund that directed this, that the sort of, I have no doubt that this is Marvel saying, you need to make these characters likable. You need to make them feel relatively emotional and we can connect to them. What's the point? <laughs> I, I don't care. I feel like that character, like that whole the Flag Smashers was genuinely like one of the most horrific things in this. I have no doubt that production on this probably even wrapped, you know, way before last year, you know, especially we came out with how Marvel films are made. This was probably CGI 10 years ago on how they're going to make this and everything. But like after the Black Lives Matter movement, which featured global protests to have a black man go and then like stop the resistance who was protesting and writing and say, no, you have fought. Like that is so genuinely quite like out of like distasteful and disgusting by Marvel. It's like, wow, that's, you know, definitely, definitely a choice. Um, yeah, no, this, eh, no, not, not good. <laughs> Can I just say there is a really interesting moral conundrum though that you mentioned like with these shows and it's it's mostly the execution because every new tv show you don't know the characters but they're using these tv shows very clearly to build up the side characters that you don't really care about but we don't care about them enough to excuse the bad execution unlike the movies I think the movies you can excuse the bad execution because or most of the time because you know you've been with these characters for 10 years you care about Tony Stark care about Captain America you care about these characters to some degree I don't give a fuck about Falcon or the Winter Soldier or Wanda or Vision you know so Loki will maybe be saved a little bit more by this but like when you see bad execution it's not enough that these characters are there it's not enough that these characters are going through whatever drama they're going through because like it's fucking old Falcon who cares hmm. yeah I, I, I would love to see how the writing table like the staff writing the show how they interacted with each other because I feel like there's so much conflict. I feel like there's probably like one or two of them with really good ideas. They wanted to move something forward, like with the flag smashers, they probably wanted to, them to be portrayed in a generally positive way. But then you have probably like one of the studio Disney heads that's like, no, 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 you cannot do that. You cannot have people sympathize with someone who wants to bring change and have no borders and be open. It's like, no, 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 you cannot have that. So they force, like this reminded me a lot of, uh, of like a rushed version of what happens to Daenerys in Game of Thrones. Just kind of like, oh, she wants to do really good, but also she's kind of murderous at the end. And that's, that's, that's not good. She goes crazy for a little bit and that's, no, 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 we have to kill her off. And that's how I felt about Carly's character. It's just, it's a mess. It's just messily written. And... Like the only reason that I was kind of positive when talking about my themes when I first finished this show is because I'm hopeful, again, in a very naive way, that maybe even like 10 teenage Marvel fans would actually think about them and go like, oh shit, maybe racism is bad and maybe we should accept, 
you know, immigrants and be more open with people who need help and the changes and the US government maybe does some very bad things, <laughs> you know? And I guess that's probably the best takeaway that I had from this show It's just like, you know, maybe it's, it will actually say something to some younger audience member, younger viewers. But uh, there are like 10,000 other better things that would have pushed their creative thinking and critical thinking in a much better way, I think, than this show. Um, and the awkwardness. I don't know about you guys, but whenever they started having the discussions about race, those were the most awkward moments. And there was one that circulated on Twitter as well when like, um, the Winter Soldier is using the shield together with Falcon and their training and he's saying something like oh now I understand what it feels like uh, like you to be a black man and the pain you've gone through so I'm sorry <laughs> I was like who wrote this well, <laughs> it's, a, up with it? it's a racist studio making an anti-racist piece so like you know it's kind of awkward I guess just apologizing <laughs> I think that's that's sort of an inevitability it's an inevitability that you know, race and modern politics comes into these scripts because if if we look at film for the past thirty years, we've come a long way since Driving Miss Daisy. We've come very far since Green Book. I think it's still finding its footing in how to sort of not approach these issues, but write about them in as in dialogue. Because in the last episode, there's that bit where I don't even remember the guy's name, but the old guy that was the super soldier. And it's like, you would never accept me as Captain America. He says it's Black Falcon. And then the other guy goes, no, it's Captain America. The intention, I, I, I do truly believe that the intention there is earnest and it's, it's well-meaning and it's, it's going to do at least something for someone. I just think for me, it's like, you know, for someone that watches a lot of films and consumes a lot of media, that just comes across as very cliche and stifled and it's uninspired. It gets its point across. Yes, great. That's, probably the most important thing for it but if if you're proceeding f- what's it five hours are just nonsense repeating the same thing over and over again with the same few themes and styles that aren't really of particular interest or written that well if you sort of capitalize on that at the end and go no this is what we really meant it's like right well you left that a bit late didn't you it's they really need to start planning these things a bit better and that's ironic considering they plan well into the future with all these products. I can't wait to consume the next one next month. It's sort of like, at least we get a month's break. At least we get some respite from this sort of three ring circus. But I think it, I think that's the frustrating part of it. I do think it's worse than one division, but that's not a high bar amount. I, I think because of what one division tried to do, with its lynchian tones at least it, it it gave it a go it collapsed in on itself and i do think i i can respect that marvel are trying to do these things but they're so stuck in that rigid structure of this is a product at the end of the day we need to sell this to x amount of people and y amount of returns need to be met there is no room for creativity it's not going to be something like i'm worried about that sam raimi dr strange movie they're not look, sam raimi's a fantastic director when he did Spider-Man, they made a lot of money. I think that was a fluke, though, because the Evil Dead films didn't make much money. Uh, Drag Me to Hell didn't make much money. Darkman died on its ass. He's not a dependable profit director. He's a dependable artist. And I don't think Marvel has much room for that because that's why they got Carrie Scogland in to direct Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Because let's be fair, 
that's not a household name, but they did that, um, oh, what you call it, The Loudest Voice with Russell Crowe, which was about the guy that owned Fox News. Uh, she she is a dependable director. She's not got much of a voice of her own, and that's because Marvel aren't going to give her that opportunity because they're trying to set their own record straight. They're trying to get as much money as they can for these side characters that, let's be fair, they're, they're going to show up in two more films and that'll be that for them, surely. There's not much else they can do with them. This was their big outing. They, they, they won't get a standalone film. There'll be no sequels. There'll be no return to these mighty heroes or dastardly villains, whichever ones are which, because, well, we're not meant to make it a, a, a distinction between the two, are we? Because everyone's guilty of something in this series. The, the, like I, I, I like that you mentioned Sam Raimi because that was actually a director I was often going back to while watching this show, especially in the last episode. When there's the moment where the guy goes Black Falcon noise Captain America, I was thinking, oh, wow. I just wish this was kind of like a Sam Raimi Spider-Man moment because the crowd, as, as cheesy and over the top as those moments were with the crowds in those films, but something like the train scene in the second movie, you feel the, the emotions, the weight, and it's a mixture of everything. It's the performances, it's the music, it's the camera work. And that's something that's completely lacking in most Marvel films, especially in these two shows, I think. The level of creativity and effort on a technical level outside of just spending money on visual effects, which by the way, props to the digital artists, it's a pain to make those things. So I respect them a lot, but still everything else, just it all looks the same. It's not exciting. They don't use the camera in interesting ways. And that's what's always keeping it. Like, actually, now that we're talking about it, I think that's, that's what's keeping it from ever really hitting me home emotionally. It never goes beyond this standard, like, medium shots, wide, close-up occasionally of these actors. And that's also what doesn't, what keeps me from ever getting invested emotionally. And the one act, actor and character I cared about in this whole show was Baron Zemo and Daniel Brühl. Because it was just having a laugh throughout the entire show right from beginning to end is completely different compared to the whatever was it, Captain America Civil War when he first appeared and all the better for it I was just like yeah he's, he's just chilling he's laughing, he's having a ball he's getting tons of money <laughs> and he clearly is like yeah I'm just I'm doing this thing I guess just traveling around the world and he was the most interesting character for me um, I did think Bucky the Winter Soldier had probably the most complete arc out of all the main characters, which isn't really saying much. Again, it's the most obvious setup. Like you said, it, it comes on in the beginning. It's like, oh, he killed the man's son. It's definitely going to, like the last scene is going to be him apologizing. And that's literally what happens. There's like nothing in between. He's just waiting for the payoff. And, and one character that I found really irritating is Sharon Carter, who is someone that I completely forgot even existed in the films. She just comes comes on. And I was watching it with my family. And they were like, wait, are we supposed to know her? It's like, yeah, she was in like two or three of the films. And that says everything. I mean, it's it's just it's just random characters coming back. There's there's the the I don't remember the name, but like the guards from Black Panther, they come in one episode as well. It's like, yeah, sure, why not? It's it's cool, I guess. Uh, but it's it's just throwing 
again, throwing minor characters, adding minor characters as protagonists of a show that features even lesser characters as cameos. It's just, ah, yeah. But again, I did enjoy seeing Daniel Brule dancing um, for five seconds, and then they released a one-hour cut. That, that was confusing to me. Everyone was talking about release the Zemo cut of him dancing. I was like, okay, it's going to be like a cool scene of him dancing for like a minute and they want it extended. He said it's like three seconds in the actual show, five seconds. <laughs> I hate Marvel fans so much sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't blame you there. I think what you say about it all feeling very similar is very like frustrating. That that's the truth. Because I don't know if you, any of you saw the Netflix shows like the Luke Cage, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist. You know, specifically, I'm going to say Iron Fist season two for the sake of, you know, keeping face here. Um like each one felt so unique and so worthy and just so like good. Like they're just so good. And I want, I'm going to rewatch them just cause like I need to confirm myself that they are good. Um, but like, they're so fucking good. And every single one, like, well, we only got two of these Disney plus shows. We're going to get a million more, but like, they're so bland and they're so paint by numbers. This one specifically, it doesn't even really add anything to the main story. It gives sure these two characters a little bit more depth, but like, I think that this one was tacked on. Like I think WandaVision was planned because that you need that kind of for the character of Wanda. You don't need this for these characters. It ends in nearly the same place as, you know, the characters end in Endgame. Like it's really kind of pointless, a pointless adventure for six hours. Um, yeah, I, I just am so frustrated because like Marvel can do good. Like that's the big thing about Marvel. Like they're not always great, but like even in Captain America and like this more serious style, the Winter Soldier, I think is probably my favorite Marvel thing they've ever created. I think that's a genuinely amazing action film. Like they can do good, but they just continually choose not to. When you have that much money and access to that much talent, you're actively choosing not to. It's not like, oh, it just doesn't pan out. I guarantee you, if they want to make this good, they could. But for whatever reason, they just actively go against themselves. And it's so annoying to see. I don't know. I, this show just, I'm frustrated. I'm so happy that like you and said we have a break. Because originally Loki was starting, I think, this next week. I think they pushed like six weeks. So like, good on you. I, I think that definitely hurt this show being so close to WandaVision. Um, I'm really hoping they kind of backtrack and they don't have new content every single week for Marvel and Star Wars because I think seeing execution just two shows in, horrible idea. Um, but I'm 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 anticipating Loki, but other than Loki, I'm just I'm done with these shows. I don't care. I they're bad. See, someone asked me why I watch these if I don't like them, and well, money firstly, but also because. I've got to keep on top of pop culture. That's sort of what we do. And it's 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 not our fault that we watch so much because we're just starting to pick up on the same things over and over again. These are no different. And I, I, I doubt very much that Loki will be much different to this aside from, you know, they'll get to play with a bit of time travel, but so is Doctor Strange. You know, the, the best sort of metaphor I can think of for what Marvel are doing with TV shows is how I do my radio where the songs might change every week, but the format, how I make it, how I put it together, the voiceovers, everything is similar. It's all the same, apart from the songs. And the songs in this case are just characters. Now, the difference there is that the music has more depth than these characters, because the characters, let's be fair, are just... I don't think there's much you can do with Captain America's sidekick and the guy he used to fight with. There's, there's not much there. 
they can but that's the thing there's not much there so why don't they build on that why don't they use these as sort of torchbearers for themes like they tried to do but shied away from it that there's, there's a very big gap in the market to be talking about race and politics and film and media and, and falcon the winter soldier to its credit does try and do that it just i don't know it misses a trick here it really does and i think that's just a, a writing inconsistency in general i don't think it has what it takes to talk about anything that isn't sort of leading into the next setup for the next big product because that, that's that's what these shows are really isn't it wandavision ended on that cliffhanger where she had the cape or something the witch thing this just i don't know what happened at the end to be honest she was uh, the what was her name sharon carter someone was reinstated so now they can use her for a future product and then they can use wandavision for the future product all these tv shows are sort of the oh well we need to get this one from a to b we need to get this character from here to there and we need to change this and then they use like they have six hours to do that but they've got to make a narrative around this one real hidden agenda that is just change this character so we can use them later on and that's I mean, credit to them. They're, a lot of fans are going to enjoy it. But I, at what point does it get stale? Because I got bored of this around Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's it's been hell on Earth since then. Like, I I don't understand. There's six more shows coming out this year. We've got Black Widow coming out instead of Loki. That's the reason Loki got shifted back. Because Black Widow's dropping in June. I, I don't get how they get away with it <laughs> I, d- I really don't they have like the- six shows four films yeah imagine if any other artist or business did this like even the monsterverse which i mentioned earlier because it's still a cracking idea even then it's uh, kind of like they did the mummy in 2017 the the only did that as a standalone thing eventually but it's because they were distancing themselves from the other projects to eventually build up to the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which I assume is what they were going to do because that's Sean Connery classics, well worth revitalizing. The issue Marvel are now having is that they've spent that time building up the characters. This was an inevitable trade-off. There was a big break between Iron Man and Captain America. I think it was three years. Mm-hmm. Three years between two films. That's a good deal of time to sort of pace yourself. You're getting used to these characters. They're going to eventually cross over, but we don't know how or why yet. Now what you've got is that these people have been established. The characters are there, all the components are there. You know the style that they're going to direct and act and star and write with. It's just a matter of now of, do you like that style or not? And I think for us three, I, I guess the case is no. But for a lot of people, it's, yeah, I, d- I did like that. I did enjoy Iron Man, but I wouldn't want to watch it like 30 times over the course of you know 50 hours. I think that's how much content there is now. There's no... If, if you're making media, like you're making frozen burgers, there's not much room for sustenance. You're not going to get these big arching political messages that they're really trying to do because there's no room for creativity. There's no real difference between this and Iron Man because the direction and the core elements of the production are identical. With that being identical, you're going to have characters that feel the same. And I think that's why we're sort of just feeling the 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 burnout of it now yeah and, and that's that's what's probably properly scared me by the time we reached the end of of this final winter soldier <laughs> because at least i was incredibly frustrated with one division because it reaches the end credits and it's like okay this was setting up 
Captain Marvel 2, because why? I don't know, but it was setting that up. And then it's setting up Doctor Strange. We're like, okay, at least, you know, just trying to find the silver lining, at least it's focusing on characters that we already know, it's sequels, okay. But then we reached the end of Falcon and Winter Soldier, and I wondered, okay, so what are we setting up here? Like, literally, now we have a new Captain America, so are we going to get actual Captain America films? Is that the future? Are we going to get random political mumbo-jumbo with Sharon Carter being evil? What's, are we going to introduce even more characters? John Walker is alive. I was thinking he was going to die in the final episode because what are you going to do with that character? It's just Julie Louise Dewey Dreyfus appears and she's okay, she's going to be a villain, I guess. Setting up a new villain for shows, for movies. Which shows? We already have 10 shows, like you said. We have seven movies. We, we have an actual slate up until the end of 2023, pretty much. And they don't see any of those characters fitting into that. So in 2021, we're building something for 2024. Meanwhile, everything that's coming right after is already building up something that will come after that. And I, I'm, honestly, I'm just scared. Like, are we going to reach like 60 films in the MCU and shows? What's, to what, to what's the point? What's the cost? What's the actual end game now? I think I'm hopeful like one of the most pleasant things about Falcon and Winter Soldier, even though I ended up actually being relatively positive upon first viewing, but I'm glad more and more people that I follow weren't fans of it. And I'm hoping, it sounds horrible, but I'm hoping this trend continues because this needs to stop. This is literally getting out of control right now. And I, it's, it's, it's an endless void. Before you had Endgame, and it's like, yeah, but just that, reaching that, it's the ending, the climax, tying everything up. Instead, no, it's, what's the point now? That's that's my final question, yeah. What's I will the say they, they have announced that Captain America 4 is in development and in production. <laughs> oh, so no. That is, so the, that is really? the plan. Yes, they've announced that it is in production. Just... Same crew as Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So um, behind oh, and no. in front of the camera. So I assume we're just going to get more of this as a feature Whoa. film then um yeah i mean it, it's definitely a scary thought that we're just gonna get all this content just this endless content towards like 2024 it's not good i've come to this realization with disney plus starting with the mandalorian season two and coming you know marvel's not proving me wrong it's just a gateway drug all these shows are is just gateway drugs to other pieces of content, which therefore are gonna be gateway drugs towards another piece of content. And eventually you just get this branch and it's just gonna continue getting bigger and bigger with all the drugs film Twitter is addicted to. And that sounds, you know, maybe maybe that's not the most clean metaphor in the world, but you know, it, it, it is what it is. Mandalorian is setting up a show and a movie and you know, this next whatever Star Wars is doing. Every single one of these is setting up a new film that's then gonna to build to the next big climax like Endgame. It's all just gateway drugs and it sucks. It's annoying. It's bad. It's not good to watch, but you also kind of have to, cause like, uh, like you and said, I mean, we have to kind of keep up with pop culture. If you're not watching Marvel, like damn, you're missing out on the main conversation on Twitter. Like it's the monopoly right now. Like if everyone was talking about like, Oh, first cow, like, yeah, it'd be great. I wouldn't watch this shit, but no one is talking about first cow. Everyone's talking about Falcon and the winter soldier and like crying about how good it is. And it's like, well, I, you know, I'm not there with you, but at least I'm in the same room as you. 
I mean, this is how people in the 60s must have felt about Westerns, you know? It's, there's too much. It's oversaturation, and it's kind of, again, just echo what you said there. If you're not in the loop, then you're missing out, and it's you're not missing out on the content, but you're missing out on the conversation, and it's it's that water-cooler television that has moved itself online into discourse, and it's impossible to talk to someone about anything that isn't this, because this is all there is. There's no, you know, I just watched Your Honor with Brian Cranston. It wasn't very good, but I'd be more interested in talking about that than I would about Fat and the Winter Soldier. The problem with that is that nobody watched Your Honor. Nobody. Because what was the point? The big problem is that at some point, the debate about Marvel and its products and how it makes content, it always diverts back to the point of when are we going to get sick of it? And I'll people like us are getting sick of it now and by people like us i mean people that have to watch this all the time whether or not they're interested in it for the people that are interested in it they're probably elated by this plan they have for the next four years there's there's no escaping the impact it's had financially or on people critically i just don't think in you know eight years time we're going to look back fondly on falcon and the winter soldier as anything more than filler and I think there's very few Marvel products that do amount to anything more than this is to shift merchandise, this is the set of this, this is the set of that. There's no, I think the original Iron Man, I do think is a fun film. Thematically, useless. Uh, Guidance of the Galaxy 1 and 2, I rewatched the second one recently. I used to love that film. I thought it was one of the best films I'd ever seen when I was 17. I have aged both physically and mentally. Now I don't think it's any good. Because all I really realized was, oh, I like Electric Light Orchestra. I like that on the soundtrack. I like the movie as well. Where we have to keep in pop culture, but sort of Marvel. Marvel are using all the stuff that we like about pop culture as sort of a tool to get to the general audience, you know? I, I really like George Harrison. So hearing that in Guide to the Galaxy 2, it's like, oh my God, Marvel's for me. I like George Harrison. Marvel like George Harrison. I like their product. So at what point are we going to get to the point where we say, look, do we actually like the characters or do we like what Marvel is sort of presenting to us? Do we like the fact that, you know, this song is here or that character's there? Or do we just like the satisfaction of having something comfortable over and over again? Because this is going to sound really pretentious and snooty, but film is meant to challenge people. It's meant to sort of challenge your interest and your taste. You're not going to grow as a person if you don't consume media and art that isn't going to challenge you. You know, I read books I barely understand because it's challenging and it challenges my brain and I learn things. I don't learn anything with Marvel. I don't learn, I don't experience, I just sort of sit. And it's like, um, it's, th there's nothing in it. it. It's like every meal I made for myself at uni. It, food is fuel, as Remy's dad once said in Ratatouille. You know, I like, Marvel is just fuel. And people keep fueling that fire and it's going to keep growing and growing and growing and eventually it's going to explode in on itself. I don't know when or how or why, but it's. It, I, I feel it may be in the next two years. Really, genuinely, I think people are just going to suddenly turn. I, I mean, they already, they already are with the conclusions of even even WandaVision, which has, you know, people out there basing their identity around the show. You know, the last <laughs> episode is genuinely quite, a lot of people are against it. So, I mean, it's already yeah. starting in a slow degree. But I think that's a wonderful analogy. Like, but here's the thing, you go to uni, then you stop and then you grow up. Marvel doesn't grow up. They're still in uni 10 years later and it's really sad and pathetic now. And eventually their life is going to explode in a midlife crisis and it's going to be bad. Like, I... 
I don't get it. I really don't. I've tried. I've watched it all from Iron Man to now. I've watched it all and I don't see the appeal. Granted, I have no attachment to these characters comic books wise, but I, you know, I, I guess to some degree I understand it because I do like the two Spider-Man films. I guarantee if I watched them now, I wouldn't like them because like I said, we've grown. I don't, I, I'm mystified by people who say they can watch these things three or four times. I think that's insane. They they need checking out. I that's, I saw someone on Twitter say they just finished their eighth like rewatch of WandaVision. What? It's How? barely been out a year. No, no, I, not a year. It's been out a month. Not even two. half a year. Not even half. Yeah, it's been like two months. <laughs> Some of my all time favorites that I've held dear to my heart since the dawn of my time on this mortal coil. I've not seen more than four times, let alone eight for what was that nine episodes of shite. It, it is that thing where it's it's such a socially accepted experience and it's such a unifying one that people feel comfortable basing their identities and their personalities around it. You know, you're not going to get many people that base their identity on, like, I don't know, David Lynch's Dune. You know, you're going to get them basing it on David Lynch's WandaVision. It, it's like, I, I... I understand the appeal for comic book fans, but I, I doubt many Marvel fans are comic book fans because the people I used to hang around with at school were like oh have you seen the newest you know marvel product no is it any good what's it like is the comic similar it's like, oh i don't know i don't read it's like yeah yeah it's i it, it they don't care about really the, the history behind it i've got two friends that do care about history behind it they love the comics and they read it all the time and 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 they're as annoyed as i am because i'm i'm annoyed that there's so much of it they're annoyed that there's not enough specifics it's like they, they understand the nice little quips and nods to, like, uh, there was a line in the last episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Don't remember it, because I don't remember much. Um, but apparently, oh, yes, it was, I thought Captain America was on the moon. And that's a reference to one of the comic series. Um, what does that mean to the average audience member? They're probably just going to think, why, why would Captain America be on the moon? Haha, <laughs> he's dead. Like, <laughs> I don't know how many people really were picked up on that line. And I... I don't know. I really don't. I don't know when my breakdown's coming, but I'm, I'm sure it'll be after Loki before What If. Oh, I had my breakdown back in 2017. I think <laughs> after, after Spider-Man. After Spider-Man. And the disturbing trend is not only the monopoly, but the belief that there is a monopoly of Marvel and Disney that leads people to actually think there's nothing else. And that's one of the scariest things. Like I have, a, I have a friend of mine, not even one, I have multiple people that I know who keep on going on about things like there's nothing good coming out nowadays. I go on Netflix, there's nothing. It's always the same thing. There's nothing interesting. And I go, okay, have you seen The Irishman? Have you seen Roma? Have you seen Beasts of No Nations? Have you seen Pieces of a Woman? Literally anything that isn't generic action product they already know that's established in some way and they go well no but uh, yeah that's it it's just mumbling it's not even forming a coherent response as to why they're not interested in those things and that's the shocking thing about marvel like every time i post reviews on letterboxd i post like little things on instagram stories as well and they get basically no response unless it's a marvel product and that's just scary it's just like 
like do you, do you don't know about the other things of course some they don't have to watch everything i don't want people to see everything that i watch and that i enjoy of course but the level of of, a, of a aggressive comments and discourse that's that's that i've had with some people about freaking wandavision where i just went yeah i didn't really like how they developed the character well no but but it's about grief and i can see some people acting the same way about this well but but it's about racism and it's about uh, America's jingoistic, uh, warmongering uh, country. It's like, well, it, it's about it because they, they, they say it. It's like, that's, that's it. All of the themes, all of the themes are explicitly stated. That's what confused me and disappointed me about WandaVision because I saw it after everyone had already seen it. Meanwhile, like, I caught up with this halfway through. And everyone was raving on about, yeah, it's, it's exploration of grief. It's so deep. The first couple episodes, I was like, okay, I can see this being clever. And then in the third episode, it's literally, yeah, this is a manifestation of her grief. And she literally recreated him because she wants to keep on living her life as she would have envisioned it if he were alive. It's like, oh, okay, that's it. That's the theme. That's the show. And it's, at this point, I do think this is going to lead to actual death of cinema as an art form in the sense that like people need everything to be explicitly stated otherwise it's not there or it's not well explored i've seen those comments like oh but this film doesn't really explore the thing it's like no they don't explicitly state it but we don't need to have everything explained to us hopefully but apparently we do and that's how marvel has changed everything for the worse you know, Nick, we recorded something secret recently, and I don't know if it's been announced yet, so I'm not going to really say what it is. But we came to a pretty haunting, I think, conclusion about film Twitter and like the state of film criticism in that thing that we recorded. Mm-hmm. I think that the biggest issue is this like rise of everyone's a critic because everyone is just talking about mainstream shit. Look at when Chris Stuckman, like arguably, I think was at his time one of the most mainstream critics. He went out there and he popularized you know, watching the independent A24 films, not necessarily, you know, the deep shit granted, but like, you know, there's always much deeper layers. And of course there's layers here, but like he popularized that to where people then would go out and seek that stuff and go out and seek those tiny little horror films, whatever he was talking about, you know, and say what you want about him as a critic, but you know, I, I will applaud him for doing that and giving light to smaller films. We're at this point where everyone wants to be this cool critic, but they only care about the popular stuff. They won't talk about the tiny stuff or if they do, it has to be very mainstream A24, you know, mainstream independent stuff. And you see this even with like film festivals, which I think is genuinely the most annoying thing when someone gets accreditation and then they only check out the biggest name stuff and they'll watch like five stuff and then ignore the rest of the film festival. But like, I think you as a critic, Nick, not to, you know, like, yeah, you know, pat yourself on the back too much, but like, I think you do a really good job at reviewing, not just like the new smaller stuff, but then you'll also post like trouble every day review. And like, that is great on film criticism. And if everyone did that, then we would have such a more interesting and diverse and well-educated and just, I think a much more rewarding community on film, but so many people aren't. Everyone is just trying to be as mainstream as possible. And the fact that, you know, whatever small film you want to point out isn't going to get as many clicks as a Mortal Kombat or Marvel film. They don't see that there's a point in that because we're working towards an industry now that everyone just cares about clicks and followers. No longer is the artistic like value of anything that we're doing important for people. It is all about clicks 
and followers? And how can we get as popular as possible? How can we make, uh, you know, the closest goal to how do we make as much money as possible? And like, it's fucking kind of revolting because like film criticism and film is an art form and it's so good, but like no one cares anymore. And it's so disgusting to see. I mean, you, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there. The thing about Chris Stuckman, I'm not particularly keen on his videos. That's just not my style. I think he's a very solid critic though, because as you said, when he was recommending A24 films and independent films, that stuff, you know, that's relatively popular now, but back then nobody really, you know, connected with, he used his popularity and his influence on his audience to say, hey, you should go and check out something new. And I think between all three of us, I don't want to speak for you both, but I, I assume that, when we find an independent film that nobody's really heard of, that we want to champion it, we want, even if one person reads our review and thinks, right, well, I would like to see that, then that's our job done, that's good. And I think what you have now is very popular people on Twitter, on Facebook, on Letterboxd that are saying, yes, this mainstream product was good, you should watch it. And then that's it, that's that's job done, Phil. And I, you have such a responsibility if you have a big following. I'm lucky that I don't have a big following, right? So I can say whatever nonsense I want, really. Like, I, you know, go and watch Filth. There we go. I, like, I, the, the film Filth, not actual Filth. <laughs> but my point is, if you've got popularity and all you're doing is saying, you know, I don't know, what was that film that came out and it was really bad? I know there's been a lot of them this year. What was the big one? The, um, the Russo one. Hey. Uh, Cherry, if you go out and say Cherry's fantastic, it's amazing, you should go and see it. All right, fine, that might be your opinion, but don't, you know, don't disregard smaller films. Don't like, even if the smaller film is bad, give it a shot. I'm not saying change your review or your thoughts to make it sound like the, the small film is good. I watched uh, Shoplifters at, uh, in the end of the world or something. It's a really, it's a film based on the Smiths. It's not very good. But I would still say that it has redeeming qualities where people could enjoy it. I, and then it's up to me to relay that to people. It's up to me to say that this is not for me, but this might be for you. And I do think that's what Roger Ebert did quite well. I'm not a fan of his writing per se, but I am a fan of how he used his influence, where he would say, I liked this film, but you might not because we're from different backgrounds. We're from different parts of the world. Or on the flip side, I didn't enjoy this, but here's why you might enjoy it. I think that's such a great sort of middle ground and meet and that's gone there will never be a return to that no matter how hard we try because people are so flighty people are either did you like this product yes oh good i did too or did you like this product no why not and there's no discourse around sort of you know there's no respect in it anymore there's no sort of saying i didn't like this but i appreciate it you didn't enjoy it or i did enjoy it it's all just did you like it no then i don't want to speak to you it's 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 the echo chamber effect sort of speaking to people that like what you like it's not challenging your views and again like i said film is meant to challenge your views as much as people talking about it is meant to challenge your view but you know can't wait for hawkeye and on that really positive note that's going to wrap up this episode of Clappercast. so let's end how we always do with our film recommendations or our tv book i don't know just recommendation for something to experience 
Uh, I'll go first. I had a pretty big week this week. For the first time since March 8th, 2020, I returned to a cinema. I went inside a theater. I didn't just look outside it longingly for the day where I could go and watch Doolittle at a screening and have everyone cheer for it at the end of the film when the credits come on because it's such a glorious achievement, which happened. Um, I saw a little film called Together Together. I miss this one at Sundance. It's about a guy who is single. Uh, he meets this woman. She becomes his surrogate. Um, but they don't really like follow the right like rules when it comes to like boundaries. So they end up kind of forming this friendship. Maybe it's a little bit more, maybe it's not. Um, and it's a very complex and challenging film. I think everyone who's seen this, well, not everyone, I should, you know, clarify not everyone, but a lot of people I'm seeing online describe this as like, oh, what a joyful, fun, charming film. It's not. It is funny. It has like obviously a lot, it has a lot of jokes, has a very comedic attitude. But this is a devastatingly like haunting film at like a midlife crisis and at just like a doomed friendship or a doomed relationship. It's almost kind of like call me by your name in a sense where like, you know, once this baby comes out, these two will never talk to each other again. So, you know, like on the clock, it's doomed, this friendship, this relationship, and they're both extremely lonely, both extremely lost in life. And this is like a little brief stint of connection that they have. But eventually then they have to also accept that it's ending and then they have to go on living with their lives afterwards. And I just I was really genuinely quite blown away by this film. And I'm really happy I saw it. Um, we might be talking about a future Clappercast. I'm not really sure what like the VOD streaming, whatever with this film is. It's, you know, all really unclear at this point. Um, but I, I really love this one. If you feel safer turning to a theater, I think it plays really well with a crowd. Um, if you're not, though, definitely stay home, be safe and just check this out whenever you can. Uh, Nick, why don't you go next? What's your recommendation for this week? Uh, since he sadly passed away recently, I wanted to recommend a Monty Hellman film. Um, he's a filmmaker that I'd only seen two films prior to this. I saw Tulane Blacktop, which is his most famous, uh, popular cult classic film from the 70s. And I also saw Riding the Whirlwind, which is a Western that he made in 66 with Jack Nicholson. And he shot that back to back with my recommendation, which is The Shooting, also from 1966. Um, it's an incredibly atypical Western. Um, some call it an acid Western, which is a wonderful way to put it. Um, very much in the style of Samuel Beckett in the sense that it's very stripped down story. It's, it's all about this journey that uh, this, out, this cowboy is helping a woman get revenge. You don't really know for what, you don't really know who the man is that she's trying to kill but he's going to help her together with his friend. And they're just riding in the desert and it's them interacting. It's them pondering on existence of the value of violence and of revenge. And then Jack Nicholson appears as a very eerie um, cowboy and everything just gets worse and darker and darker as the film goes on. And you're never really sure what's going to happen. You're not even really sure if you're really enjoying the experience watching it, but you just cannot look away. And I think that's the real power of the films of Monty Elman. They're kind of like depressing hangout movies. It's just people together going to places and the destination, if you actually ever reach it, it's disappointing in the best way possible. You're not expecting it. You are shocked. You're baffled. What just happened? But you also cannot forget it. It's been five days since I've seen it. I'm still thinking about the ending and I'll probably still think about it for weeks and maybe even months to come. And I think that's the real value of something like this, just a film that you know nothing about, 
that is unlike anything I've seen before and that just sticks with you on a long, long time. And Ewan? Did you did you say I could recommend a book? Sure. All right, I'm not going to do that. Recommending oh. a book to Marvel fans is like recommending gloves to people without hands. I, don't worry. I don't think the Marvel <laughs> fans are here anymore. I think they probably left three minutes into our conversation, but whatever you want, um, go ahead. I'm just going to go ahead and recommend a film that everyone's already seen, but I rewatched it recently, and I implore you to do the same. I rewatched Trainspotting. Um, I always thought the sequel was a lot better, but I rewatched it a couple nights ago, the first one. Oh, it's a phenomenal film. Just go in and listen to the soundtrack. Don't don't bother listening to what Renton and Spud have to say. Just go and listen to the soundtrack because it's got New Order, Iggy Pop, Pulp, Damon Albarn. It it's it's got Atomic. It, it's such a good film, and I think that's amazing that such a good film can come from a place where it's sort of it it it, it has such a bad cast. Like these are horrible people. They're awful. They're violent. They're brutes. They're cowards. But there is such love in the craft that Danny Boyle and Ewan McGregor bring to that adaptation of Irvin Welsh's novel. And it it is one of the many films that is better than the material is based on. Transporting the movies far better than the book. I will stand by that. It cuts through a lot of the uh, political commentary that Irvin Welsh has, but all of the adaptations of his work do. It streamlines it to fit a contemporary standpoint. It came out in the late 90s, which is when Britpop in the UK was exploding it has all these brilliant contemporary artists who even now sound fresh and exciting and fun. It combines it with the drug culture of Scotland. It, it brings in so many different elements because the book, it's just scenes. It's little caricatures in moments and they're loosely connected. The film is too. And once you sort of realize that, it makes it so amazing to watch. Oh, honestly, it's a brilliant film. Beautiful. Transporting. Oh, amazing. Awesome. And with that, that's going to close this episode of ClapperCast. So let's go around and see where everyone is on social media. You and you can go first, right back at you. Where can people find your work? Uh, they can find my work on Cult Following, Clapper, The Geek Show, Northern Lights. Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at Ewan Gledo and of course Letterboxd uh, is just Ewan Gledo. Nick? You can follow me on Twitter at NickyGrow97 and you can follow me on Letterboxd at Nicolo Grasso and you can read my features on Clapper. And you can watch my short films and video essays on YouTube and Vimeo at Enjoy the Movies. Awesome. And you can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews or on Letterboxd, just Carson Tamar. You can find all the work from Clapper at www.clapperltd.co.uk. If you're just listening to the podcast, there's a lot more going on. We're on YouTube. We have written reviews, features, all that good stuff. Uh, we're on YouTube. Like I mentioned, we have podcasts. We also have Uncut Gems podcasts along with this. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. We're everywhere. Just, you know, wherever you want to search for Clapper, wherever you want to find our work, we're there. Uh, make sure to rate, subscribe, follow us. New episodes release every single Wednesday. We'll see you next time, hopefully for a little bit more of a positive episode, but no promises. We'll see you then. Goodbye.